Good to see everybody. I'm going to invite a friend of mine up here. Michael, you want to join me, brother? Um, we have a chance this morning to, to hear from Michael Dyson. If you were here last week, uh, you might have seen me kind of oddly interrupted in the middle of something I was doing because I saw Michael and his face. Come on up here, brother. Um, and Michael is going to take some time and, and just testify to the goodness of God and just the way that God has met him. Back in December, uh, Michael got a diagnosis of an aggressive form of lymphoma cancer and has gone through treatment for that. And, and so he's just going to share with you kind of that journey and just some things that are on his heart. And I think one of the things it does as well, before I just let him kind of run with it, um, you know, when we went through First Peter, uh, we talked through the book of First Peter, and a, ma- a major theme in First Peter is, is suffering. And we went through the book of James, we also saw in the book of James how James also addresses the fact that, that God uses suffering in the lives of believers. And there's a theological framework that it gives us, which is really helpful. But there's a way in which practical lived experience can, can put even more kind of flesh to that structure and help us understand, like, what does this actually look like? Uh, when we journey through difficult things and seek to trust in God. So with that said, Michael, I'd love, to, love for you to share with the church family just maybe how the Lord kind of took you through the journey and just initial thoughts on as you start to go through practically a shade of suffering in your own life. So, Good morning. Hold that tight. Hold that tight. So right? Is yeah. that good? Good morning. Um, when Pastor Matt asked me to consider coming up and, and sharing I said about how long and he said seven to ten minutes really <laughs> there, there's there's no way to begin in that seven to ten minutes but I will I will consent okay hey I'm, I'm game for more so I mean we'll trust trust the Lord on the timing I have I have prayed and sought the Lord you know father where would you have me to go with this because so much has happened the one thing that I want to convey is the goodness of God. Um, may he be glorified here today in what is said and done. I began to just kind of feel bad, physically feel bad over a year ago and just kind of fought it through. You know, men are hard-headed sometimes. So um, I just began to kind of fight this thing and not overly concerned. Um, but it got to the point to where I had to seek medical attention. So in the latter part of November, 1st of December, we sought medical attention. And um, they did diagnose it and said I had a couple of, of tumors that were forming. And um, they took biopsies and diagnosed me as stage 4 lymphoma. And uh, that's, that's pretty aggressive there, stage 4. I can truly say that just the goodness of God began to, not, not began, but was there. And there was a peace. A peace that passes my understanding. I, I can't tell you, I can't tell you how I was at peace knowing that, that I was at stage four. They began chemotherapy uh, the latter part of December, just shortly after Christmas. I was in the hospital. Um, I had, I had got to the point, if any of you are familiar with uh, the calcium levels in, in the bones, the calcium level was supposed to be maxed out at 10.4. I was at 17.4 in the, in the hospital. I was somewhat out of my mind, if you will. 
uh, one of the doctors told me later that the first time he met me was during that time, and he said, you were cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, is his exact <laughs> words. Um, just, j just not comprehending uh, everything that was going on around me. But I went through that treatment. I went home. We came home that December uh, 31st on Christmas Eve, late that evening. And we began this journey with our hand in the Lord's. One, one question that was, was posed that Pastor Matt and I just briefly talked about is how to choose joy during this time. You know, honestly, when you don't know whether you're going to live or die, where can you go? Where can you go but to the Lord? So that's where we chose to go. I was raised in church. Um, I'm 62. I'll be 63 next next month. And I know already y'all are thinking one thing. How in the world did this man get this good looking in 62 years, right? <laughs> Is that what y'all are thinking? Okay, y'all don't have to answer. I understand. I understand. <laughs> but I was saved at a very young age, so I knew... God is my only hope. Amen. And that is true. So true. We just put our, our trust in the Lord. That's all I know to say. To say that every day was a, a, a walk in the, in the park? Absolutely not. I have had more of a mental and an emotional battle than a physical battle. There were some physical issues, too, during the chemotherapy. But it was more of a, an emotional and a, uh, a, a mental battle. There were many times, I know y'all prayed for me. Uh, I know that. We, we've had people praying from us coast to coast. We've received cards from, from California to New Jersey, Texas, the, mid the middle uh, part of the country, Midwest. We've had folks from other countries praying for us, and, and that's a blessing. But there were times that I would go through these battles and I would say, God, call your people to prayer. Just call your people to prayer because I don't know what else to do. And he is so faithful. So faithful. I pray that none of you ever have to experience cancer or any kind of a, a disease such as that. But during this time, God has drawn me so close, so much closer to him than I've ever been in my life. That I do pray for for y'all, that God would draw you closer. I don't want this to sound spooky spiritual or anything. But things happened to me during those times. One thing was that I began to experience the, the presence of the Lord so strongly. During the praise and worship singing, if you see me just not being able to stand still, that's, that's just part of it. But there were times that I would experience the presence of the Lord so strongly that I would, I would look to see where are you 
it's almost like he was, he was so close. Like, where are you? I can't see you, but I know you're there. Just before going into the hospital, the latter part of December, my son and daughter-in-law and one of my grandsons had come up. So that's three people in our house other than Pam and myself. And they had gone out and they came back in. And the presence of the Lord was so strong during that time that when the three, my son and daughter-in-law and, and my grandson, when they came back in, I remember looking toward the door thinking, somebody else is coming in. It was the fourth man in the fire. That's how, that's just how closely that the Lord was to me during those times and still is. I don't know that we can comprehend and walk in his presence like that all the time, but there were several times when I was looking for that fourth man. Just like I, I, I know the presence of the Lord is here so strongly. I made mention to, to Pastor Matt in the email that he read here back to a few months ago that um, I could sit down to read the scriptures and I would literally make a spot available for Holy Spirit to sit there with me to just teach me from his word. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I want to say something too. That's not a Michael thing. That's not a me thing. That's a God thing. Several people would tell me during those times that if anybody can beat this thing, you can. Not me. God in me. And we're beating it in Jesus' name. I will, I will try to, to hush unless there's more questions you want to ask. <laughs> no, you're doing great, brother. There, there is something that I want to share. Kind of as a, a climactic thing, I guess. Um. I, I could go on as, as the Spirit of the Lord would, would allow and as Pastor Matt would allow. But there's, there, there's three, there's numerous people that have been a blessing to us during this time, and I so appreciate it. Anytime you start calling out names, you're going to leave out someone. So I'm not going to do that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out three people that have just been an extra blessing. During this time, my days might run together, so I'm not trying to say this was exact dates or anything, but right after we come home from the hospital, there was a bag hanging on our, our front door, and it was from Pastor Jason Faircloth from the Burgall Crossway Church now. And there was a card of just encouragement inside the, the bag, and there was a blanket in that bag, a blanket that you would wrap yourself in. And Pastor Jason had given an explanation of the blanket in the card, and he said that his son, Abraham, you know, Abraham had to have a type of chemotherapy also, and he said Mr. Michael can't carry a, a, a stuffed animal with him when he goes for his chemo, but he can take this blanket to cover with. That just really touched me. The second person I want to recognize too is Amy. 
Pegando, hein? She came to my wife a few weeks ago. This was before I could come back to church. This is my third week back since before Christmas. She came to my wife a couple of weeks ago and, and just told her. And of course, Pam told me when she got home, she said, I'm praying for your husband. Amy, what a gift that was. Thank you. And the third person, of course, I can never thank Christ enough. But the third person, as far as being a physical person, is my wife. The scripture says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor in the Lord. I'm one of the most favored people in this world right now. The way that Pam has stood with me, the way that she's cared for me, we've always had a good marriage relationship, and I thank God for that, but we have drawn so much closer together, and I thank God for you, my, my dear, my love, my spouse, my helpmate. You are truly a gift from the Lord, to the Lord bless and keep you. I love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing, brother. Can you give us a, just a brief update? Um, not everybody saw the the grainy, poor video you sent us as pastors where you're ringing the bell on your last treatment. Uh, can you give everybody just an update on kind of where you are physically and how we can pray for you right now? Um, pardon me just a moment. Yeah, it's okay. And this, this, by the way, too, if anybody could carry a stuffed animal into chemo, it would be you. I got it. I've got it. I just want you to know that. I thought about it. It's a, it's a good thought. Uh, very briefly, this could this could take a lot of time as far as trying to detail it out. So I'll try to to just summarize it. Um, when they diagnosed me with the with the cancer, they said uh, they wanted me to have six treatments of chemotherapy. And after the third one, they sent me for a PET scan or another scan, another PET scan. And if you've ever read the my chart on your hospital, we got the results back from the my chart, and it was like, honestly, I, I, I don't understand the terminology. I'm not that well educated. But some of the terminology said, the, the way that it said, rather, I didn't know whether I was coming or going. I really didn't know whether I'm getting better or whether I'm, I'm slowly dying. Uh, and, and that's the literal statement. That, that was the way I felt. Um, that was after the third chemotherapy, had the PET scan. And at the fourth treatment, which was every three weeks apart, the doctor came in and he bumped fists with me. He bumped fists with Pam and he said, you're in remission. That was after the third one. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. But he said, I still want you to go through the other three, total of six. Uh, he said, we've just proven that that's the, the, the best way to do it. So we finished the six. Um, I feel myself getting stronger. I put weight back on. I had dropped about 35 pounds or so in weight total. 
still not where I was, but I have you know, put some considerable weight back on. The last treatment was um, in April. Am I correct on that, Pam? Okay, it's in April. That was my last treatment, so I, I feel the, the, the strength returning. We had a, another PET scan um, about three weeks ago now. We had the reading this past Tuesday, and they have, there, there is something still there. Um, the doctor said it's in the thoracic part of my back, which is, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, which is an area of, uh, that I have had issues with. But um, he said it is so small that they cannot even biopsy it, if that's the word biopsy it. But they can't perform a biopsy on it. Uh, I'm supposed to go back for a CAT scan um, in about uh, the first part of August, first week of August, for them to determine what that is and, and what it could possibly be. Uh, of course, there is a possibility that it is still some lymphoma, but the thing is, the spot that he is referring to, I have had, I had an injury in it. I'm not quite sure what I did, but I had in, an injury in it probably 25, 30 years ago. Uh, and there, there's a, just a persistent pain, an aggravation more than a pain, but he said it could even be arthritis um, instead of lymphoma. But uh, that, that is our prayer that it is, I don't want arthritis, don't get me wrong, but I would rather have that than more lymphoma. <laughs> but uh, our prayer is that it, it will turn out to be nothing. Um, I think the, um, I, I think we'll find out it is nothing. I believe that. I believe that. Thank you for, thank you for shepherding us and encouraging us, brother, through your own journey. And remember the statement. I think, Pam. I think maybe you put it in your communication to us that I read months ago. There's something effective. Lymphoma is a really scary name, but we know a greater name, right? We know the name of Jesus. And, and so I want to pray. I want to pray for you, if I can, brother. And just want to thank God. Maybe just stand. Can we stand together? Just kind of in recognition that God deserves praise and yeah, Lord we are here uh, our brother has been here to testify to your kindness um, you, he has said that you have been good to him and your word says that it is good to give praise to God it is good to give thanks to you O most high so we praise you and we bless you for the way in which you have carried our brother and our sister Thank you for the ways in which he's experienced your nearness uh, that I would, I would guess are unique to this particular season and this trial. And that shouldn't surprise us because you say that you use trials in particular ways to crystallize our faith and to make yourself in a particular way very near to us. So thank you for being true to your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you possess a name above every name, a name that's greater than the name of any cancer in this life. And even as we think about the term remission, what a blessing it is to know that our greatest remission has been accomplished by Jesus, that our sin has been removed. And one day, not here, but in the life to come, if our trust is in Christ, we will know the, the momentary joy that, that Michael and Pamela have and that we have had hearing of his remission now, that we'll know a complete and final and eternal remission of anything that causes pain. 
and all of our sin will be taken away in full, and we'll know that reality in full. So thank you, Jesus, for the work that you have done. Thank you for carrying our brother, and we pray that you'd carry him still. We pray that the nearness that he has felt along the way would still be his real life experience now. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. All the credit is due to you. All the glory is yours, and we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you all for praying for us. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, brother. All right, we're going we're gonna to take a minute. Uh, if you could just greet one another. For those of you using CW Kids, you can go ahead and make your way back there and check your kids in. Thanks so much. Let's take a few minutes to say hi to one another. Who are specially gifted in it. And there's certainly some who are gifted in hospitality. But something that every single one of us is called to be and to do. To be hospitable, to be open with our lives for the benefit of other people. That's our collective responsibility as believers. So as Christians, we have seen and experienced hospitality through the gospel. So in response, we're called to joyfully practice and show hospitality to others. Just a few quick verses. Romans 12, 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. We'll come back to that verse in just a little bit. First Peter 4, 9. Show hospitality to one another without Grumbling. So the Bible uses a lot of words and pictures to describe what we were like before we knew Jesus. And one of those words is strangers. So when you look at Ephesians 2, we'll spend just a little bit of time here as I try to cut out some of the content I have because it was well worth the while to hear Michael's testimony. Ephesians 2, verse 11, says this. You've been saved by grace through faith. That's what you see earlier in chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, non-Jewish. You were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So this is the name calling between Jew and Gentile. That circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If you're a Christian today, this is a working definition of who you were and what you were like before you were a Christian. Namely, that you were separated from Christ. That we were aliens to his people, foreigners to the family of God. And the promises and the benefits of being a part of that family were absolutely foreign to us. We're prohibited from his pedigree, strangers to all the benefits of the people of God. But now, everything has changed if you're a Christian. So you see in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God has pulled close to him those who once were far off. He has drawn near to those who were foreign to him, apart from him. And he's made them a part of his family. And the vehicle by which he accomplished that was the cross. The cross of Christ was the road, as it were, to move us from being a stranger to being a son or daughter. The barrier was broken. But not only did the cross break down the, the barrier of the dividing wall between us and God, making us a part of his family. But what we see as well is that it breaks down the barrier of the dividing wall between 
ethnicities and people who are different. So those who are calling each other names, uncircumcision, circumcision, we just saw that a second ago, Jews and Gentiles, those who don't know God and those who do, God has made a way for them to be a part of the same family through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we're such a peculiar bunch. It's like, what in the world would bring this group together to do life together and sing songs together and grow together and be in groups in their homes together? It's the cross. It's the supernatural work of God to save people through a common Savior, to give them common life, even though there's so many things uncommon about us in our background, our personalities, our socioeconomic status. And that's a picture of what heaven will be like. Heaven will be like that. People from every tribe and tongue and group and nation worshiping the Savior together. Verse 14 in Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself, in Christ, one new man, in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So through the cross of Jesus, strangers and enemies, men, women, and children from all nations become part of one family, the church, across the world. And in this place, people are restored to God and to one another. You need to think of your identity in this way. So growing up, I was a fan of Prince, the musician. Some of you were too. I know you're out there. He's a unique guy. Some of his music's good. I can't commend all of it to you. But, but Prince went through this weird like name change thing. Like he was, a, he was a symbol at one point. He just did away with the name altogether. I wouldn't recommend that. It's hard to communicate. But then he became like the artist formerly known as Prince. Another interesting layer of his name. But you, if you're a believer in this room... The reason I bring up this example is because you should consider yourself a man or woman formerly known as a stranger. The only way that, that God knew you, as it were, was as a stranger and alien to his name and his family. But the miracle of the Christian faith is we're brought into the fold of God, part of, made a part of his family. And we have brothers and sisters now. We have a family. It's uniquely pieced together by the power of God through the blood of Jesus The church is full of former strangers, strangers who have become family with God as their father. Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, thanks be to God, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's good news. We get to be a part of his family. 1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Strangers have become sons. Aliens have become family. And in the gospel, we have God opening his life to those who didn't know him, infusing them with life. And why all the work to develop this? Like, you've heard this before. This is the ground of hospitality. Like, we open our lives to other people because God has opened up his life to us. He's made a way for us to 
to be a part of his family. So there's this impulse that as Christians we should have to be open with who we are and our time and our resources so that others might even be a part of our family, that in all of that, that they would see the power and the love of Jesus within us working outward to them. That's what hospitality is, being a friend to the stranger. And the motivation for us, just as we have become welcomed by God, we need to welcome others. We have been loved and we're called to love other people, right? As God has moved toward us to include us in his family, hospitality is a way for us to, according to Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, hospitality is a way to bring the church to the people as we lock arms together. A community on mission together. As the world sees this peculiar family of faith and wonders, like, what in the world brings these people together? Like, why do they seem to have such things in common, but yet they're so different? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the reason. He's both the model and the motivation for us to be hospitable. There's a couple things I want to leave with you before I finish. The first is this, that hospitality is a mark of spiritual maturity. Hospitality is a mark of spiritual maturity. So for the Christian, hospitality, opening your life, becomes a priority and a mark of maturity. How do we know this? Well, it's a, it's a requirement for pastoral leadership. The qualifications for pastors you could see is the, really the, the marks that we should pursue for maturity in the Christian life. Because we're called to be examples to the people of God. And one of the things in that list of qualifications is that we're called to be, as pastors, hospitable, to love the stranger. And so in a very real way, if you see a pastor who isn't open with their life, with their home, who doesn't see, seem to love and be open to the stranger, that should be a reason for concern because God says it's a qualification. But then it also kind of pushes outward. This is something we should all strive for. It's a mark of Christian maturity. First Timothy 3, 2. An overseer must be hospitable, able to teach. Titus 1, 7 and 8. An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable. And being a Christian means we're conformed to the image of Christ and Christian leaders would be examples of what it looks like to love the way Christ did, to serve the way Christ did, to care for the outsider the way that Christ cared for the outsider. Pastors are called to have open lives as examples to the church, and the church is called to follow that example. So hospitality is a mark of spiritual maturity. Hospitality also takes sacrifice, and we'll deal with this a little bit next week as we look at some of the hurdles to hospitality. One of the things we see, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. All right. I think what this implies is that you're going to be prone to, I'm going to be prone to complaining as it relates to hospitality. You know what that tells us? Hospitality can be hard. Like it can require something of you that you don't want to give. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to take Sacrifice. But sacrificing for things that matter to God is a joyful cost when we know that he has made 
an eternal sacrifice for us, right? That's the whole basis and framework for hospitality is remembering the way in which Jesus sacrificed to bring us in and in turn make a generous sacrifice for others to please God. Hebrews 13, 1, 2, and 16 says this. says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. This is such an interesting passage. For thereby, through your hospitality, some have entertained angels unaware. You can't make this say something that, other than what it's saying. Here's what it's saying. If you show hospitality, you might have a moment in your life where you've entertained an angel. That's mind-boggling. There's been a couple moments in my life from like spent time like trying to minister to someone, just like a, a, a sovereign kind of encounter with someone, buying somebody gas. It turns into conversation and, and it's, it seems to be some meaningful interaction. And all of a sudden they're just like, they're just kind of gone. Not, not literally taken out of my sight, but, but gone. And you wonder like, what was, the, what was the purpose? What was the purpose of that moment? What was the purpose of this investment, this seed planted? And I have to wonder, God seems to be okay with kind of sparking our curiosity, even our interest and our motivation by saying, be hospitable, because if you do, you might even entertain an angel and be unaware of it. But then he goes on to say this, verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Every time you open your home for life group, Every time you double a recipe to bless someone in need. Every time you invite someone over to your house for lunch after church, even though you're tired. Every time you're inconvenienced for the benefit of someone else. Every time your plans are interrupted so you can listen to someone who's in need and hurting. Every time you actively choose to open your life to someone, you resemble Christ. I loved my dad. My dad passed away about 12 years ago. I've had the experience since my dad passed away of interacting with some of his friends. And it's really interesting to hear from people who knew my dad, hear them talk about how much I resemble him. And if you, if you were to meet my dad, if we were to stand up here together, you very quickly realize that we sound a whole lot alike. There's subtleties of our smile and different things that you would see. You'd see almost right away. Like that's, man, Matt, you really resemble your dad. I want you just to have a category for this when you think of hospitality. You're not just doing practical good to people when you're hospitable. You resemble your father. You look distinctly like him when you open your life to other people. And people see it. They may not recognize it for what it is, but they, they see it and they're curious about it and they wonder, like, why does this person love me even though I'm a stranger to them? Had this story years ago of a friend of ours who was baptized. This has been 20 years ago. But he made a statement when he was baptized. He came into the church, the church we were part of in Colorado initially, as an atheist. And over the course of about maybe three to six months, God worked in his life and he came to faith. And he was sharing his testimony. I had a chance to be a part of his baptism. And he was sharing his testimony. And one of the things he shared I'll never forget he said it this way, just so succinctly, but so helpfully. He's like, it was the word of God that changed me, but it was the people of God that kept me coming back. 
And I have to, I have to believe that in that statement, there's this, there's this peculiar kind of heavenly warmth that people, even before they're Christians, will feel from the people of God that will just keep them near, maybe even interested as to where that warmth and that life and that love comes from and ultimately gives us a chance to say it's not just from us, it's from Christ. But we bear remarkable resemblance to our Father when we open our lives to love and care for the outsider and the stranger. This is the last thing I'll share for the day. Not only do we resemble him, but we also serve him when we're hospitable. This is the picture in Scripture. Hospitality to others is hospitality to Jesus. There's such a direct association that Jesus has with a stranger that in Matthew 25, he says, if you do it to them, you've done it to me. So Matthew 25, and notably, this is in the final judgment where God is separating his people from those who are not his people, the sheep from the goats, the sheep being his people, the goats being those who are not. And this kind of evaluative moment, here's what we hear. The Son of Man comes in his glory, verse 31. It says in verse 34, Matthew 25, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. This is his people, the sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, or because you demonstrated your life, through your life, that you're my child, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, his people will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you in all these ways? Like when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did when did we see you as stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to me. Hospitality to others in this supernatural way is hospitality to Jesus himself. He identifies with the outcast and the stranger and the outsider with such depth. When we do it to them, we do it to him. And that should motivate the people of God. For us to stand there one day and to hear, you did it unto the least of these. And in doing so, you did it to me. When we clothe the naked, it's as if we're putting clothes on the king. When we feed the hungry, it's as if we're feeding him. When we give the thirsty something to drink, it's as if we're giving God something to quench his thirst. When we welcome the stranger into our world, our home, give them our time, we're welcoming the king himself into our midst. Family, one of the things that we'll jump into a little bit next week as we talk about the hurdles, I mentioned this in the first time we preached through this series I don't think the thought is original to me. I think I borrowed it or stole it from somebody else. But it's essentially this, that our homes, and I'd say our lives, should be more like hospitals than castles. And I think we're at risk 
in America of making our homes more like castles than hospitals. Closed off to the very people that God has put around us to have an impact on. Rosaria Butterfield in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, makes this really simple but profound statement. She basically says that God never gets the address wrong. If you're next to someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, you're there for a reason to make him known. And maybe the first step is just to open your door a little wider, pull in your garage without putting the door down immediately, and just engage people. And maybe increasingly, our homes will be more like hospitals than castles. And this means our lives need to be increasingly open and decreasingly closed. Amen? Let me pray to that end. God, I know for all of us, uh, I know theologically that we are prone to be selfish. I know experientially in my own life how I need to hear the rebuke, um, that we need to be hospitable without grumbling. Because even this afternoon, as we have life group in our home, there will be a very real present temptation to complain and to want to be selfish with our time and our stuff and our space and And if we've experienced the radical generosity that is present in the gospel, where Jesus, because of your sacrifice and your generosity, you made those who are strangers your sons and daughters. You made aliens a part of your family. If we know that, then it should motivate us and provide us a model for what to do with our lives. It should open our hands. It should open our eyes to the world around us, open our lives, our doors, and all of the things that need to be more open to, to the world that you've put us in. And as long as we remain here, God, you've given us a job to do and us to make you known. And I pray that you'd help us understand over this coming, coming couple of weeks, today and next week, what it looks like for us to take steps of radically ordinary hospitality that the gospel may usher forth through those channels. And we love you. We thank you for the way in which you have made us a part of your family by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I pray that we'd sing as if that's true to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll sing one last song.